Good morning. And it, is, it has been a special day to get to gather together. Uh, the psalmist said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And man, I, I'm just so thankful to get to be a part of what we get to do today. And, uh, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn over to Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> we are continuing in our journey through the story. All of Scripture is many stories that all tell one story. And it's a story about the redeeming God uh, who has made a way to rescue us. And there's a lot of different ways of looking at the story, but the way that we're looking at it is through four different movements, creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. And so the last three weeks we've been going through creation, talking about uh, God being the author and subject and how good he is and how he created us in his image and likeness and that every good gift comes from him, life and even things like work and family, that these are all good gifts from our God to us so that we might worship and adore Him. Uh, And this morning, we're going to begin shifting into uh, this different theme called the fall. Uh, But before we do, I just want to say again uh, to everyone in here who is a father, father, grandfathers, we, we are so thankful for you and the role you play in teaching God's Word to your sons, to your daughters, to your grandchildren, is critically important. Um, One of the last promises, prophecies before the New Testament, before the Gospels, is that that God would turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. And that's some things we're praying for as we go through this series that we're bringing the whole family into. And there's resources. If you have a preschooler all the way to a high schooler, everything that I'm about to share with you, there's, there's resources online to help you talk about these things this week in your home that, that we'd love for you to be a part of and to jump in the reading plan with us. But just again, I want to say thank you to you dads. Uh, personally, my dad has been one of the greatest influences on my life. And um, I'm just so thankful for him and I would not be the man that I am today if it wasn't for him. And I also know for some of you, uh, when we talk about Father's Day, there's a lot of pain that comes with those words. Some because you've lost a father, and you've experienced just the sadness and grief that that brings. Others, you didn't have good fathers. Your father didn't give life to you, he took life from you. And there's a lot of wounds, there's a lot of hurt, Um, because of your father. And even those in this room who've had good fathers, no one has had a perfect earthly father. The reason that that is true, the reason why our fathers fail us, and the reasons why some of our fathers are not with us, uh, the reason for that is found in this text that we are about to read this morning. So if you have your Bible with you, Genesis chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. If you have a Bible with you, there's one in front of you. Uh, I just invite you to read along as well. And I just want to encourage you as we walk through this passage today, if, if you've been around church, if you've read the Bible uh, growing up, you, you're familiar with this, this story. And I want to encourage you to see it from fresh eyes, to be engaged, to, to ask the Lord to open your eyes to see what is here. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. 
neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And this might be one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Definitely is at this story, this page in the story. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. For the first time in creation, mankind, Adam and Eve, are not running to God, they're running from God. And you can see and you can feel and you can sense the depth of what is occurring in this text. And it's brought out in verse 9 by a question that God asked. But the Lord God called the man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? Where, where are you? This is what sin does to us. It, it separates us from God. And as we go into the fall, the second movement in the story, we see in this passage that a deep darkness invades the narrative. And this darkness and, and the, the consequences and the ramifications of what we are, are just now reading and we're going to unpack over the next few minutes together aren't just consequences and effects that Adam and Eve feel, but they come into your story and my story. Our stories are defined by what we just read about in this story. They shape our stories. They bring brokenness. They bring death. All, all the things that I just mentioned about fathers and fathers who have failed us and fathers who've passed away, it's all because of sin. Little word, three-letter word, sin. Sin is the root. Sin is the cause. Sin is what has brought in all the brokenness and all the sickness, cancer and, and AIDS and war and all the different things that we could list, all the things that break our heart and have broken our families are because of sin. And they go back to this first sin. And they help shape our understanding of our, our own sin. So during the next two weeks, this week and next week, we, we want to talk about the fall. And it's, it's heavy, but it's important for us to understand the heaviness. The, the Puritans used to say that sin will not be bitter until, or sin, Christ will not be sweet until sin is bitter. And so we have to wrestle through the depth of our own sin. So the goal is this week and next week to answer two questions. First, what is sin? That's what we're going to try to tackle today and bring some definition to it. There's many definitions, but we're going to bring some definition. And then next week we want to talk about uh, the, the effects of sin and how that's come into marriage and our lives and our relationship with God and our relationship with, with creation and what do we do about it? How does it involve us? So that first question, what is sin, leads us to our big truth. And it's, it's the truth of this passage we just read this morning. And that's this, sin is ultimately, it's a rejection of God. Sin is a rejection of God. 
Sin is not just bad things we do. Sin is not just mistakes we make. Sin is not poor choices or a lack of judgment. Sin is a rejection of Almighty God. I want you to feel this and lean into this with me. There are no small sins. Every sin committed against holy, 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 almighty God, creator of the universe, is a sin against the cosmic, infinite God of all. There are no small sins. Every sin is a rejection. It's an affront to our creator. Look with me in verse 3. Eve is, is actually quoting God, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. This is a command given by God to Adam that he's communicated to his wife Eve that she is now stating back to the serpent. And it's important to note that this is a good command. That God's not holding out on Eve. God's not holding out on Adam. He's trying to protect them. For context, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 19, God told Adam that if you eat of this fruit, you will die. Don't do it. This is a loving command, not a restrictive command. Everyone in here who's a parent has probably said, do not stick the fork in the light socket, right? Like, you're not holding your child back. You're not keeping them from being the best version of their self, right? You are trying to keep them alive. Don't play in the street. Don't pet rattlesnakes, you know, whatever, whatever your thing is uh, that you would sell your kids. Like, it's a loving command. It's restrictive for their good, for their joy. And God gives this to Adam and to Eve. Do not eat of the fruit of the trees in the midst of the garden. But look at verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, a delight to the eyes, desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Direct rejection, disobedience to God's command. And she gave some to her husband who was with her. Adam was there the whole time. And he, the one who was given the direct command by God, ate. And so we see in this story, in this movement of the story, that, that sin ultimately is a rejection of God. It's a rejection of his commands, it's a rejection of his lordship, it's a rejection of his rule, it is a rejection of, of him. Adam and Eve have turned their backs on the one who created them and gave them life. So what I want us to do in the time that we have this morning, I want us to wrestle through the question as to why. Why would they choose to reject God? Why would they choose to sin? And again, I want to encourage you to, to listen and read through this text with just fresh eyes and, and put yourself into what's happening in this text. And so let's do that together. And we're going to do that through the form of, of big ideas. So why is sin a rejection of God? Why do we choose to reject God? Why do we choose to sin instead of choose to follow Him? Here's, here's the first answer that we see in this passage and it's about sin it's this sin leads us first to doubt God's goodness why do we choose to reject God it begins by doubting God's goodness God's holding out on me can a good God really do these things 
Would a loving God really allow this to happen in my life? That's beginning to doubt God's goodness, and that's the way the enemy begins. Let's just look again at verse 1 of chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. Now, there's something that's really important here that we often miss because of our English translations. But all throughout Genesis 1 and 2, one of the main ways that it refers to God is uh, what you would see in your Bible as the Lord. So anytime you see the Lord in the Old Testament, it is almost always Yahweh in uh, in the Hebrew. And this is the personalized name that God gave himself to Moses. I am. Can you tell me your name? My name is I am. Yahweh. And so, all throughout chapter 2, you see the Lord God, the Lord Yahweh Elohim. And beginning in chapter 3, it uses the same language. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord Yahweh Elohim had made. But listen to this. And this, again, if if we were Jewish and we were hearing this through a Hebrew lens, this would jump off the page at us. Listen to how the serpent speaks about God. He never uses the personal form Yahweh. He only uses Elohim. See, you can begin to see that the serpent is up to something here, and he's beginning to disassociate Adam and Eve to see God as this impersonal person, not their creator. And he said to the woman, Did God, not Yahweh, Elohim, actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He begins to question God's goodness question God's intention. He's placing seeds of doubt out there for Eve to grab a hold of and for Adam to grab a hold of. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Listen to this, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. It's causing the question their good God's goodness, question God's intentions. Have you ever um, seen an advertisement on TV where you questioned uh, the the person's intentions who's trying to sell you something that maybe they're not actually out for your best, uh, but maybe they're just trying to sell you something? Anybody here ever experienced that? Every time I see a McDonald's commercial, I think about this. It's like you're really not out for my best interest, are you? Like, this is something else that's going on. I apologize to anyone here who owns McDonald's in the room. But that's, that's what I think. And we know what that's like. We, we know what it's like to not be sure. Is someone really out for our best in this moment? And this is what Adam and Eve are beginning. This is where sin begins. They're beginning to question, is God really good? Which, which leads us to two really critical realities that we need to recognize this morning that are true of them, that are also true of us. And the first reality is this, is that God's goodness is on display through His purpose, His provision, and His protection. Purpose, provision, and protection. So in case you've not been with us or you've not read Genesis 1-2, through 2, maybe you would come into Genesis 3 and, and you would think, well, maybe God really isn't good or maybe he's not shown his goodness to them but it's important for us to recognize that he has first in his purposes in genesis 1 26 through 28 god creates man and woman in his image and likeness and they're to be a reflection of him to the world god's given them this divine purpose to fill the world with worshipers 
An incredible purpose. And then even clearly in Genesis 2, 15 through uh, 17, I just want to read this, that the Lord God took man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. Now those words, work it and keep it, are, are really important words. Uh, they are the words abad and shema, and in these two words uh, articulate what we see, work and keep. These exact same two words are used in Numbers uh, chapter 3, verses 7 through 8 and 18, 7. And it actually is used in Numbers as the job of the priest. And so when you read it in the book of Numbers, it's the exact same Hebrew words, but it's translated differently in your Bible. And the words that's translated there are the priest is responsible to minister and serve and to protect. And the significance of this is that God gave Adam a purpose, and that purpose was to be a priest over the garden, to be an advocate for all the humans that would be created out of the garden, to be a representative for them of God, to, to help them follow God, to help them image God, to help them worship God, to protect them from sin. God gave Adam an amazing purpose, alongside of him Eve, an amazing purpose. And not only did he give them an amazing purpose, but he also gave them provision. At the very next verse, in verse 16, it says, And the Lord God commanded them, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. So not only did God give them purpose, but he gave them provision. Every tree except for one. All this is yours. He gave them companionship in their relationship between Adam and Eve in this first marriage. He gave them a perfect relationship with himself. He provided everything that they needed. But not only did he give them purpose and provision, but thirdly, protection. In the next verse he says, But you shall not eat of the tree in the midst of the garden, because in the day you eat it you will surely die. So God was very clear. He was watching out for them. He warned them that this would lead to death. Paul, why are you walking through all this? Because I want us to see that there is no reason that Adam and Eve should question God's goodness to them, right? They've been given purpose, provision, protection. Brothers and sisters, God has done the same thing in your life and my life. But we very quickly will run to question God's goodness in our life. Why? Because we forget the provision. We forget the purpose. We forget the protection. One of the ways that the enemy comes at you and comes at me is to doubt and cause us to think maybe God's interests aren't good. Maybe he's not working for us. And we forget his kindness to us. We forget his grace in our lives. Which leads us to the second reality. Adam and Eve forgot their identity. This is important. And they traded truth for distrust. They traded truth for doubt. And I just want to speak to you, those of you this morning who are Christians, who are Jesus followers. One of the ways that sin comes at you and comes at me is it, it begins by causing us to forget who we are. To forget our identity as sons and daughters of God. And instead causes us to begin to doubt God's goodness and God's kindness. I, I just, again, I don't want us to miss the significance of this. Look at verse 5 again in chapter 3. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. This is what the temptation is. And you will be like God. 
If you eat of this fruit, then you will be like God. In, in Genesis chapter 1, though, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them in his what? His image and likeness. Look at the lie. They already are like God. In fact, they are the most like God in all of creation. The, the serpent is tempting them, the enemy is tempting them with what they already have. If you eat this, then you'll get to be like God. They've forgotten that they already are like God. They already have a relationship with God. They have all they need in God. Friends, brothers, sisters, this morning sin is coming for you and coming for me to try to get us to forget who we are, what God has done, to trade truth for distrust. God gave Adam and Eve a glorious purpose. The serpent called into question God's good intentions. God gave Adam and Eve bountiful provision. The serpent enticed them to believe that God was holding out on them. Which leads to a second question. Why would they doubt God's goodness? Why would you and I be tempted to doubt God's goodness? And this leads to our second big idea, which is this. Sin leads us not only to doubt God's goodness, that's the first part, but secondly, sin leads us to believe the lie that God is not enough. Sin leads us to believe the lie that God is not enough. Again, you can see it in verse 5. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You can see the temptation God is not enough. You need something else. God's holding out on you. God's intentions aren't good. He's trying to manipulate you. You need something besides God. This is the lie. This is the lie that's coming into your life. This is the lie that's coming into my life. We keep going in verse 6, and you can see the way this happens. And so, when the woman saw the tree, it was good for food, a delight to the eyes and desired to make one wise. She saw it and the desire to feel, the desire to have, and the desire to be apart from God took over. And these are the same temptations that are coming at your heart and they're coming at my heart. And this is what sin does. Sin lies to us. Anyone in this room ever tell a lie? Anybody here willing to admit it? Okay, some of you raising your hands. If the person next to you didn't, you can acknowledge later that they're lying right now in church, which is supposedly worse. I don't really think it is. But, but you know, we've all told a lie. Friends, I, I think we all would agree with that statement, but there's an even more important thing that we need to understand. Not only have we all told lies, we have all believed lies. In fact, most of us right now are feeding ourselves stories that aren't wholly true. If I had this thing, if these people would change, if my boss would go away, if I could get that advancement, if my kids would just listen, whatever it is, then I would be happy. Then I would have joy. Then I would have meaning. And we tell ourselves these lies are fed to us all the time. We, we wrestle through these lies. And this is what sin does. Sin lies to us. 
Sin lies to us first by promising to meet our deepest needs outside of God. This is, this is what sin does. This is the reality I want you to wrestle with this morning. Sin lies to us by promising to meet our deepest needs outside of God. This is what Adam and Eve are being tempted with, that you need something outside of God. You need to eat this fruit. Then you will have what you need. Then you will become like God. Then you will become God. Apostle Paul speaks of this in Romans 1.25. He says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who's blessed forever. Amen. All of us have done this. We have served the creature instead of the creator. We have believed the lie that there's something other than God that can bring meaning and life and joy to our lives. Even this morning, Skylar was sharing that as part of his testimony, this desire to find something outside of God to bring meaning. It's the same lie that we have bought. Talking about the, the nature, the lying nature that we see of sin, Romans 7:11, the Apostle Paul says this, for sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. Friends, don't miss this this morning. Sin lies to you. It flat lies to you. This morning, it is lying to you. Anything that does not line up with the truth of this word is sin, and it is a direct lie that is coming at you this morning. And we can see this clearly in the text. Verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. A clear lie. We just read it from Genesis chapter 2. God said, if you eat of the truth, you will surely die. And then a few verses later, we have the serpent saying, you will not surely die. A direct lie. Friends, brothers and sisters, this morning, sin is coming for your heart. And it wants to lie to you and distort the truth about who God is and what he's done. And often the way he's going to do it is through these three temptations that we see that Eve is facing as she's looking at the fruit. Fruit looked good to the taste, it's delightful to the eyes, to be desired to make one wise. It has been said that these three temptations can be described as the temptation to feel, the temptation to have, and the temptation to be. I could just feel this thing, then. I would be happy. If I could just have that, then I would be happy. I just want to be known. I want to be seen. I want wisdom. And, and the crazy thing about this passage is she is desiring, and Adam, they're desiring wisdom and insight. But the word tells us that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And they're trying to find wisdom apart from God. They have the relationship with the creator of the universe. They're trying to find wisdom apart from him. The Apostle John picks up on these temptations in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 16. He says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Listen to this. For all that is in the world, and he gives the exact same three temptations, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. It's not from the Father. It's from the world. See, the exact same three temptations that were in the garden are the exact three temptations that are coming for you and for me. The temptation for passion, possession, and position. 
and it comes at us again and again and again. And the root of all of these temptations is a lie, a lie that we're believing. That leads to just a second reality about the lie, and that's this. The lies of sin are ultimately anchored in discontentment. I want to say that again. The lies of sin are anchored in discontentment. And I want to be really careful here. Not discontentment with our lives, ultimately. Not discontentment with our family or our relationships, ultimately. The discontentment is with God himself. This is the root of sin. This is why we reject God. We are discontent with the God of the universe. We want something more. We want something other than Him. He is not enough for us. Even this past weekend, my wife and I were able to get away to Charlotte for a couple days and just hang out, and I've been away at school, and so we were just catching up on life, and so we do what you do when you go to Charlotte and you're married, you go to Ikea and like mountains and mountains of merchandise and things and HGTV and all that kind of stuff. And it, while it was fun to get away, as you walk through those stores and you watch those shows, if you're not careful, and, and I found this happening in my heart, just to be honest, you begin to feel a little discontent about what someone else has and you don't have or what's out there and you look at what you have and all those things. Friends, on a spiritual level, this is what sin does to us. It makes us discontent, not just with what we have, it makes us discontent with God himself. And we begin to believe the lie that God is not enough and that true freedom and joy is found outside of God. We want to be God. I want to encourage you this week, parents, kids who are in the room, teenagers who are in the room, I want to encourage you this week, just as an exercise, as a hook, we talk about hooks a lot, the family discipleship plan. I want to encourage you this week to, to take a minute, could even be around the table today, and have a conversation. And mom and dad, you've got to lead the way in this. I know it's a little awkward, but, but it'll be a good conversation. I want you to share with one another a lie that you are tempted to believe. We do this with our kids a lot, um, and they probably get tired of it. Uh, but if someone is freaking out because they would like to play more Nintendo and we've cut that off, have a conversation. Why, why do you need Nintendo so bad? Why do you feel like this thing here ruins your life? Why do you want that so bad? Why are you so upset when your schedule gets thrown off? Why are you so upset when that person cuts you off in the road? Why are you so upset when that other person gets promoted instead of you? What, what, why does that bother you so much? Because ultimately there's a lie that you're feeding or is being fed to you that that thing is what you need to make you happy, that God is not enough. I just want to encourage you this week, have a conversation around the table about some of the lies that you are tempted to believe or that you're struggling through and pray for one another. Sin lies to us and tells us that God is not enough, which leads to the third and final idea, and this really is the, the reason why we reject God. Sin leads us to doubt God's goodness. Sin lies to us and tells us God enough, but thirdly, sin leads us to reject God's rule and reign. 
ultimately the reason why we sin, the reason why we reject God is what our brothers shared this morning. We want to be God of our lives. We don't want to be ruled. We want to rule. We don't want to be under someone or something else's control. We want to be in control. And this is what's happening in Adam and Eve's life. The root is pride. It's this desire to be in control, to not be submissive to God's authority, but to be our own authority. I just want us to walk through the last few verses of these passages together as, as we close. I know these things are heavy, but I want you to just lean into what's here and all the truths that are here. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and um, they sewed and I just want to stop there for a second. They were naked. So in, verse, in chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, we see that they were naked and not ashamed. Now they are naked and filled with shame. Now they are naked and filled with, filled with guilt. So they, they understand who they are. And they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. And some theologians have said that this is the first time that religion has entered into the story. This is the first time that man tries to cover their sin to present themselves as clothed before God. It's what sin is. It's what religion is. We try to build ourselves up, do our best, try our, heart, try our hardest, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, make ourselves worthy before God. We can't make ourselves worthy before God. Verse 8, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool or in the wind of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God, um, the Lord God, among the trees at the garden. Again, I said this earlier, it's one of the saddest verses in the story. They hid themselves from the presence of God. Where they once had a relationship, now they're running to hide. And then God asked this question. But the Lord God called the man and said to him, Where are you? I want to be really clear God was not having a problem with directions at this point this was not a game of hide and seek and God didn't know where they were and so he's shouting for them you know Marco Polo or something like that that's not what's happening here God knows physically where they are that's not the question he's asking he's asking a heart question Adam where are you where have you gone What's happened inside of you? Where are you? It's the question that God speaks to us as well. Where are you? What are you chasing? What are you following? What are you building the foundation of your life? Where are you? Sin leads us to reject God's rule and rain. And let me just give a few quick realities in closing with this idea. First, and I've said this already, there are no small sins. There are no small sins. It's not sins of mistakes, sins of bad things we do. No, every sin is against God. Secondly, sin is a cosmic treason and rebellion against the one true king. It's a big deal. And thirdly, every sin is a conscious decision to worship false saviors instead of the true Savior. Adam, where are you? Eve, where are you? Where have you gone? 
What has happened to you? As they've embraced sin, they've rejected their creator, their provider, the one who gave them life, and are now trying to cover themselves up and hide. And this is what sin not only does to them, this is what sin does to us, friends. It leaves us trying to cover ourselves up, to hide. Instead of running to God, we run, we run from God. Pastor Rick Warren says this, one of the reasons why we tend to get so stressed out is often because under everything else in our lives, our default desire is to be the God of our lives. So we are so stressed out because we can't be in control of us. This is what sin does. It causes us to reject God's rule and reign. Just coming back around again, our big truth this morning, sin is a rejection of God. Friends, every sin that you and I commit is a rejection of God. And that is why we are all condemned before God. In fact, sin, our sin, your sin, my sin, is so great and so deep and so horrible that the only way that we could possibly be pardoned, the only way that we could be atoned for is if infinite God himself were to atone for our sin. Our sin is so bad that the only way that you and I could be rescued is through the death of God's Son on a cross. I don't I know all this is heavy, and I don't want to just leave us there, but I want you to feel the weight, not just of sin, but this morning I've been praying that you'd feel the weight of your sin. That sin would be bitter to you this morning so that Christ can be sweet. But the good news of the gospel is that God did send His Son, fully God and fully man, to pay the price for your sin and my sin. And it's, it's subtle because if we don't have the rest of the story, we won't understand what's happening in this story. But I want to help you see the grace that's happening in these verses that we read this morning. Now, I mentioned earlier, Genesis 2.15, that Adam was called to be a minister and a protector. He was called to be a priest of the garden. He was called to be an advocate for the people. And instead... Sin came through him. He failed. But what Romans 5 tells us is that Jesus is a true and better Adam. He's a true and better priest. He's not just a priest, but he is a king and a priest. And when Adam failed the test, Christ passed the test as the perfect king-priest. But not only that, when we talk about these temptations that, that Eve experienced when she saw the fruit, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that Adam and Eve, in the perfect conditions, in the garden, in the presence of God, with everything they needed around them, they failed the test on those three temptations. But friends, thousands of years later, Jesus Christ would be baptized and go into the wilderness for 40 days. And in the wilderness, he would be tempted as well, just like the first Adam was. Not in a garden, but in a desert, with three temptations. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, 
pride of life. Turn these stones into bread, jump off this building, everyone will worship you, bow down and worship me, I'll give you the glory of the world, and Jesus passed the test. And not only that, but we see that just like Adam was in the garden before God facing the temptation, and he failed that in Luke chapter 22, Jesus will return to a garden, praying to his Father, there's another way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, yours be done. Where Adam failed the test and said, my will be done, Jesus passed the test in the garden for your sin and my sin so that we could be saved. What a Savior. What a gospel. What a God. Friends, this morning I I pray that we would feel the weight of our sin, that it would be bitter to us so that Christ can be sweet as as I have been preparing for this message which has been broken over my own sin, my own rejection of God this week, and overwhelmed by the grace of my Savior. Would you bow your heads and just pray with me this morning? I want to speak for a moment to the believer. If you're here and you're a Christian, you've trusted, you've trusted in Christ, repented of your sin, believing in Him. This is an opportunity for you to respond, to repent. So I want to ask you some questions. I just want you to listen to my voice for a moment. This morning, how have you been tempted to doubt God's goodness in your life? This morning, what are some of the lies that you're tempted to believe that God is not enough? You're looking to something or someone else to be a functional savior for you. Is there anything in this that's going on in your life right now where you are fighting to be the king of your life, to be God, to be on the throne, to have control? Brothers and sisters, I just want to give you a moment to be able to confess and repent. Maybe you make your chair an altar. Maybe you come down and make this an altar. Maybe you want to talk to someone, pray to someone. We'll be outside in just a moment. We've all sinned and rejected God. We've all been like sheep and have gone astray. But thankfully we have a true and better Adam who's gone before us. And our sins, though they are many, his mercy is more. Run to that today. Cling to that this morning. We're going to sing about the blood that washes away our our sins in just a moment. Then I want to speak also this morning. If you are here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't know that if you were to die today that you would go to be with God. You don't know that you're one of his children. Maybe... You heard Skylar's testimony, and maybe you would say, I'm an atheist. I don't believe this stuff. Friend, turn to Jesus. You died in your place to set you free, to give you life, to forgive you of your treason against the Father. He loves you. Trust Him, believe in Him. Just a moment when we stand to pray and stand to sing and worship. I'm going to go out these doors. There's going to be other men and women headed out these doors. We'll be out there. We love 
love to pray with you. I'd love to talk to you about how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It would be my joy. It won't be awkward or weird to walk out. Other people will be going out too. I would encourage you just to come. Turn to the Father. Father, we, just, we pray this morning and we thank you for what you are doing and what you've done. We confess the depth of our sin against you. Forgive us. Forgive me. And we turn to the grace that's found in Christ this morning. We thank you for the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to save us and redeem us so that we could be sons and daughters of your king, of the king, of you. Thank you for being the perfect high priest. Thank you for passing the test when we failed the test. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.